0: Welcome to Bluegrass Stories with Katie Daly and me, I'm Howard Parker. There's a lot to like about the young fiddle player Patrick McAvenu, who's the fiddle player for Daly and Vincent, but he also has an interest in jazz, Irish, and more, as evidenced by a band he co-founded with friends in Baltimore, Maryland, Charm City Junction. Patrick has also been the Artist-in-Residence at the Music Center at Strathmore, just outside of Washington, D.C., and he's in demand for session work as both a fiddler and a mandolinist. Things are definitely happening for Patrick these days, including a move to Nashville and a brand new album called Perfect Fit. We predict that Patrick will have a long and successful musical career. He's talented and well-liked for his musical abilities, but above all, for his positive attitude and great disposition. He sat down with Katie in the summer of 2019 to talk about his upbringing, his musical interests, and advice for anyone on the road.
1: Patrick, what a great year you've had so far. You're a newlywed, uh, a new home in Tennessee. Yep. A brand new album is out. And it's called uh, Perfect Fit. That comes out in July. July twelfth. Okay, and uh, you're working with Daly and Vincent. Yeah. You're also artist in residence at uh, um, at the Strathmore. Strathmore. I did, yeah. I did do that,
2: and then uh, I did that twice up to. But yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, where does start us at the beginning of the path and how you got where you are now? I mean, I want to know. Where you were born, was there music in your family, oh, yeah. was, uh, how did you come across the music?
2: Yeah, so uh, I was born in Baltimore, uh, Baltimore, Maryland, um, I was born in, in 1988, so April 4th was my birthday, and I, um, I grew up in an area, it's called Hereford, Maryland, and um, Hereford is in northern Baltimore County, and uh, uh, my parents, uh, I'm one of two. Um, I have an older sister that's two years older than me, and um, when I was a kid, I remember watching her play a little bit of piano. She, my sister started learning piano, but my parents both don't play any music, but they always wanted us to. They always wanted wanted that. And um, my, because my my uncle is a priest and he also he, he sings and like that's, a, that's my uncle Jason. And, um, so but I started. Watching her, and then, so I had a little bit of interest, you know, I wanted to, like, kind of play on the piano a little bit, stuff like that, so I would when I was at home. And um, when I was about six years old, uh, went to a friend's house, and uh, uh, we had, like, a little bit of a play date. His name is Wills Mayo, and uh, his family has been in the Baltimore County area for, since, uh, since the 1700s, they've had a farm deed goes back to the 1700s. And um, we were at his house, and we were hanging out, and uh, and he was showing me his Hess truck collection, and uh, he got <laughs> <You> a <laughs> those little gas place. trucks yeah yeah those little yeah. gas trucks okay. yeah he loved to collect those all right and uh, and he was the neatest kid ever he had just like his whole his room was just immaculate you could eat off of any corner of the room beautiful was that more due uh, to his mom or uh, him I think it was his mom was okay. <laughs> it was definitely a big deciding factor but she uh, uh, I remember hearing Bill. Uh, his father yell up and say, "Hey Wilser, grab your fiddle and let's play a tune for, for Pat." And uh, I, we went downstairs and he played "Bowling Cabbage Down" or something like that. And um, and I was just enamored. And and really, when I was that age, I I, I wanted to uh, uh, to hang out with Will's. I wanted to to um, be part of that. It was kind of that was really my first experience with the music. That was my first experience of. Um, really being like, I really want to do that. I really want to play the violin. And uh, so my parents, they said, okay. And uh, I went home and told them. They went and got lessons, uh, signed me up with lessons. and rented out an instrument. um, And I started taking lessons in uh, Manchester, uh, Maryland, in, um, in Carroll County. And after the first couple years, I really started not liking it because I was learning from this classical ass teacher and, and she wasn't the best with, um, with uh, you know, pushing the kid along and, and inspiring, and I, I felt uninspired. Um, but Wills, at that time, had started taking lessons from a woman named Amy Hopkins out of uh, New Freedom, Pennsylvania. The Restringed Instrument Repair, This the place it's called. And uh, my parents signed me up with lessons with her and she would teach me two tunes a week. I loved Amy. And I still do. I love Amy. She's the kind of woman that would roof her barn, go feed the cows, and then uh, come in and teach a fiddle lesson. And uh, so she taught me music from all over the world. She would teach me tunes that were Quebecois. Cape She would teach me French tunes. She would teach me old-time tunes, some Irish tunes. Whatever she wanted to learn, teach me, she'd just, she would just teach it to me. And um,
1: How, Were you a good
2: student? I mean, did it come easily to you? Or... I just, I really, I I don't know what it really was about it, but I just, I really was um, inspired to do it. I, I, I just, that's what I would love to do. I, I remember, I have distinct memories of just sitting there, I would get home from school and um, I would sit there on the edge of my bed and watch cartoons and have the fiddle in my hand and I would just be playing whatever tune that she had taught me and I would, I would. I would either sit there with and pizzicato it and play it like a little guitar, or I would um, sit there and just bow and 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 have my my neck at a really odd angle watching the TV. <laughs> 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 I would have neck pain from, from watching the TV and and just playing tunes. That's kind of just how I really learned, and um, but but yeah, Amy was a, a huge influence on that, and also a, a huge influence on me as a person because she's just. So bright and sunshiny and, and very happy and always happy to see you and always happy to to help others. Um, she she you know I I think she was like charging maybe like ten dollars and a half an hour or something like that. It was like unbelievable and she I think today to this day she only teaches she she charges like very small amounts and very good with kids. So um, I just felt really inspired by her and inspired by her, her vision of what you know a simple life. You know like she just loves to. Yeah, no. but she, she that was with, she enjoyed you know, yeah I, I mean I love has I she followed your
1: career? Oh yeah,
2: totally yeah I, yeah I I always check in with Amy I actually, I, I dropped a lampshade on my fiddle last year oh like a ceramic one one of those really heavy ones, and I almost I thought I threw the soundpost through the top I was it scared the heck out of me, and um, but she ended up uh, she I, I took it to her she fixed it she she's awesome just incredible and she's actually the one that i bought my fiddle from or actually i didn't buy it my dad bought it for me um the one that i still play to this day it's an 1820s hoff um and it was sitting in the shop and i was playing this little renter rental violin at that time um
1: was it a smaller size yeah it was a
2: smaller size it was like a three-quarter and uh i needed a larger violin and uh my dad Saw it sitting there in the in the glass case at, uh, at String Instrument Repair, Amy's place. And, uh, you know, it was like, at that point, it was like $900 or something, which is a lot, a lot, lot of, of money. money, you know. and But my dad looks at it and he goes, that looks really cool. And, um, you know, I, he pull, pulled a couple of them out of the case, pulled that one out. Of course, that's the one I like. It's the one I really want. So he bought it for me. And he bought it for me because he thought it looked cool. And to this day, that's the only... Fiddle I really play. I play that one, and then I have uh, one that was is uh, made by Scott Hershey up in um, up in uh, Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Between those two fiddles, and and a third one actually too, a uh, one made by Robert Kane out of um, out of Hershey area, Hershey, Pennsylvania. But um,
1: how about your original inspiration, Will?s Does he keep yeah. up with music?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he does. Actually, the the kind of like. Go, gun, grunge rock, oh. like uh, uh, Radiohead, uh, Limp Bizkit uh, uh, Yeah.
1: Well, uh, I know you could keep Blink up with that, but I oh, doubt uh, that we're going to see an okay. appearance no, 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 poster. No. No, love, he,
2: yeah, Miss Wills. He's a good. He's a good man. Actually, he and his wife just had a kid. Just had a had their first son
1: mm-hmm. recently. All right. Well, maybe he'll learn to play the fiddle. Oh yeah, that would be great. Yeah, that that would go in the the Mayo line, the family. But you play all kinds of music. You play Irish music with Charm City Junction, right? And and it has some old time aspects to it. So, but I've seen you play jazz. Let's go to your actual training. You chose to go to Towson State University, yes, and study jazz. Yes,
2: it was actually it's kind of ended up being like a dual concentration. So it was, I had an hour long lesson each week in uh, jazz improvisation. And I had also an hour-long lesson each week uh, from a classical violinist. So mainly the technique building and stuff like that through the classical violinist. And then the, uh, uh, the the jazz training, I guess, or improvising um, lessons really came through um, Dave Ballou who played trumpet, and then also Tim Murphy. And then my classical violin professor, his name was Dr. Jeffrey Howard. And uh, so I ended up, a lot of the time that I I spent there, I would, you know, I, I was required to practice three or four hours a day per lesson. So I was really, in essence, required to play six hours a day practice. But, you know, I while I was there, you know, we had class every day. So you would have musicianship class, you'd have uh, music theory, and then you'd have your general education courses where you had to take Chem 101 or whatever. And then, um, and then also I had music history, and all, the, all those different classes. So I just kind of had my head shoved in textbooks. I was always reading music, I was always, um, because when I first went to college, I didn't know how to read music. I had no idea how to do it. And um, I really, I just, whenever I played in orchestras in high school and in middle school, I just played whatever the kid was playing next to me. I, play, I, I tried to emulate them. And um, because I didn't know what these dots on the paper meant or anything like that. And when I, went, when I first went to Towson, Uh, The whole reason I went to Towson was uh, uh, Jordan Tice. Jordan Tice was um, a huge influence on that, where I was driving my pickup truck and I had just taken a couple community college courses in my senior year of of high school. I I, I dual enrolled and um, I took these classes and I was like, man, I don't know what I'm gonna do. What am I I gonna do with my life? I mean, I'm taking this business course, I'm taking this. You know, this this is a, about age 18. Yeah, about, I was yeah, 18. Okay. Yeah, and I was driving my pickup truck, and I remember this distinctly. I, I pulled up to the stop sign. Jordan had called me, and um, he's talking to me, and I was telling him about it, and he said, "Man, why aren't you studying music?" And I said, "Well, I mean, I kind of want a backup plan." He goes, "No, don't have a back. I mean, you can have a backup plan, but you, if you want to really study music, study music." So um, he said. Why don't you come down to Towson? I'll back you up in your audition, um, and we'll we'll uh, we'll audition. So he he uh, he did that. So I, I scheduled my audition. He backed me up. Um, you remember what song uh, you played? Yeah, we played. Um, I played Rutland's Real, four of them. I also played um, Blues for Alice, a bebop tune, mm-hmm. and. Um, and then I also remember this too. <laughs> they threw they threw music in front of me and it was um uh Doctor <coughs> I mean not Doctor, um uh, Professor Blue and uh Professor McFalls, this is the two of them that were sitting in there, and uh he took sheet music and put it up on the stand in front of me and asked me to sight read it. And I am sweating I'm looking at it, reading it blushing <laughs> and I don't even know what I'm I'm like I I can't figure it out. I'm like I'm sitting there and I am just fumbling all over the place. And uh, they pulled away from me, they go, Okay, yeah, that was that was okay. I was yeah, but we can teach you that or whatever. And I didn't even look at the title. It was Moon River. It's like <laughs> of course I know how to play Moon River. Like I know what Moon River sounds like. And I'm like I, but it was just like I was just frozen because I didn't know how to do it. And well,
1: there's an old bluegrass story. I don't know who said this, but he was asked, can you read music? And he said, not enough to hurt my playing. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely
2: that, you know, there's a lot of folks that are very, very extremely talented and gifted that, you know, if they if they get stuck in that um, the academic sense of, you know, like I have to hold this note for this long and then this long, you know, it becomes a little formulaic and a little robotic. Mm-hmm. And, um, but if you, can, if you can let it become a, another facet of what you do, it's really in, empowering. Because now I feel like I can, I, I felt like the time that I spent at Towson kind of prepared me for the next 40 years of my life. It gave me enough material to actively teach myself outside of the school. So and be inquisitive and, you know, read about um, Claude Debussy, read about all these amazing classical performers and and composers that I probably would not have known about if Mm -hmm. I hadn't spent the time to really
1: try and get to know them a little bit and experience their music. And If I remember correctly, while you were at Towson you were also working with Audie Blaylock. I did, yeah. I I, I played with Audie from 2005 I guess
2: the first time I met Audie was in IBMA of 2004. Uh, Chris Warner introduced us, and, um, and then by spigma of 2005, I, I uh, had like kind of like an audition with Audie, and went and played Jack Stelling's um, Wedding oh. in Bowling Green, Kentucky. That was my first gig. My dad drove me down. We went down there, and um, you know, I was all 16. I had just turned 16 or something. And, um, and so I started working with Audi then, and, uh, and then I, I took the job with Danley Vincent in 2017, so from then to,
1: so for about almost 11, 12 years I worked with Audi. Wow. I do remember one time uh, Audie, it was around Christmas because he was going to come in and play some Christmas tunes Yeah. at WAMU, and he asked you to come along, and um, you had a test that day. And the teacher said, your instructor said, well, if you're going to learn to be on the radio, that's good musical training for yeah, you. Yeah, that's and right. And he let you cha- reschedule true. your exam. I think it was a big deal exam. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. And so I think he tuned in to make sure you weren't telling a fib about where you were going to be. Right. Oh, that was that was one thing.
2: From the time I was in, you know, because I, I missed a lot of time when I was in high school, too, like from, from school. But I, I always had... An, I Man, I always found the best teacher. I had the best teachers. I really did. You know, throughout high school, throughout college, the best teachers that really understand, understood uh, what I wanted to do with my life. They kind of they they got it. They saw the big picture of it, and they understood the importance of the things that I was doing mm-hmm. you know, at that time, and how formative they were. And um, so, with my students, I try to always be as as understanding, you know, and 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 present them with opportunities in the same way that. I feel, I feel like I have to pay it forward, pay, pay it back, you know. That, that you know, give them the opportunities that are definitely bestowed upon me by my teachers.
1: Well, I've seen videos uh, on Facebook of you with little kids who are your students who are doing quite well. Yeah. But is is it mostly kids that you teach or is it a... Yeah,
2: predominantly. Yeah, probably. I would say 90% of my students are between 5 and 25.
1: Now, uh so up in uh, I guess you were above Baltimore City. You you described it to me once as Dell Country. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that part of close to Pennsylvania. Right.
2: Yeah, the Pennsylvania kind of. Yeah, it's, it's 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 very southern. It's very it's country folk. You know. It's, it's uh, the, the uh, yeah, because I I grew up 5 miles probably from as the crow flies from um, Glenville and Glen Rock, that 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 area. Mhm. Um, right, right. that sits right on the Maryland
1: and uh, Pennsylvania border in the Basin Dixon. In fact, you told me you love that area so much you'd like to move back there eventually. I would. I would love it. Um, it's just
2: the home to me. It's my home. It's so beautiful. It's just, it just sits right there in the foothills. And uh, you just, as you're going north from Baltimore and you're headed up towards Harrisburg, you're just a steady incline. And it's funny, the weather changes right around Chuan Road and eighty three and it becomes what's called the Hereford zone. And when I was a kid, the the climate changes so much that, you know, it may snow a little bit more in the Hereford zone. So when I was when I was younger, I don't know if they do this still or not, but they would say, you know, Baltimore County is delayed two hours and there's no Hereford tea in zone, Baltimore
1: where you're from, right?
2: No. Yeah, Balmer. Yeah. <laughs> Balmer County. And they uh would uh, yeah, they would did they would do a two hour as they said two hour delay in Baltimore County, um, Hereford Zone's closed, so
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> we get snow day
2: and and it didn't count against our our school year so we, we would get free snow days, but um yeah it, it's it's gorgeous it's, it sits right in these little foothills and as you're going north it just gets a little bit more and more hilly uh, up until you get to Susquehanna.
1: Well, uh, you've been. Uh, working with Daly and Vincent for how many? Of the I'm in my third year with them My Vincent, gosh! No.
2: Yeah, it's happened really fast. Oh my gosh, they keep me busy, that's for sure. Good.
1: And in the best places?
2: Yes, oh my gosh, yeah, amazing venues. Um, actually, well, in July we're playing the Bluegrass Nights at the Ryman, so uh, getting out to, getting to walk out on the stage of the original home of the Grand Ole Opry and uh, the is,
1: now all musicians revere their night at the at the uh, Ryman, yeah. is it what they say it is? Totally, oh my gosh, yeah. My first time playing
2: at the Ryman was in December 30th, I think, December 30th of 2016, and that was my first show with Danley Vincent, and we uh, did the spot, yeah. First show. First show except yeah. the rhyme, and it was the night that they were asked to become members. Ah, that's of That's right. Opry.
1: Right, that was the 10th anniversary of their first show. Yes, exactly.
2: Yes. Their hundredth show there. Right. And they, um, yeah, the, and 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 uh, I got to play with Marty Stewart. Marty Stewart came out and sang "Rank Strangers," and <laughs> I was like, "Where am I? What uh, is? Am I dreaming? What? Yeah, really, I'm a dreaming. What is going on here? Yeah, and then you walk backstage, and I'm seeing pictures of Howdy Forrester standing there with, with, and then Hank Williams and, uh, and, Roy, and uh, Roy Acuff, you know, the, the two of them standing in pictures together. It's just amazing, it's just the history and um, just where all that stuff has happened.
1: How many days are you on the road? With Daley and Vincent, about, uh, they
2: keep it around 100 now the The first year that I joined, it was around one hundred. Last year was crazy; it was like one hundred and twenty something, um, and then this year is a, a little bit lighter. I guess they kind of they they kept it at right around one hundred. So we got about one hundred dates this year, and then we do the Opry spots three to five times a month, and Wow, um, and then we does it ever get old? No playing ho
1: hum, we're at the Opry again.
2: Oh no, no, I I still get nervous every time I walk out on stage. Especially, you know, I look over, and it's Eddie Stubbs is just sitting there and, you know, he's watching. He's giving me the cue to, to start playing while he's, while he's talking <laughs> when he does his spots. He's a fiddle uh, player. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. One heck of a one.
1: <laughs> hmm Did you ever listen to the Johnson Mountain Boys? Oh, my gosh. I'm a huge Johnson
2: Mountain Boys fan. Oh, my gosh. And Live at the Schoolhouse Record lived in my pick- pickup truck when I was a teenager. That was just that was always in the c- CD player. That's, that's what I would show to my friends when... Uh, when I was a teenager, I'd be like, this is bluegrass.
1: <laughs> this is what I want to be. This is
2: what I want to do. This is bluegrass. <laughs>
1: so uh, among the fiddle players, who did you admire in the bluegrass? And, oh well, let's well, just say and violin players also.
2: Oh, okay. So I guess my biggest influences were probably Sky Stoneman, uh, Benny Martin, um uh, all the all the essential like, guys that played with Flatt and Scruggs and with Monroe, Kenny Baker was a huge, huge influence on me. And actually, I have a really cool story about Kenny, about okay. uh, meeting Kenny. I'll tell you about. But um, uh, uh, Kenny Baker, um, Howdy Forrester, huge Howdy Forrester fan. Tom Minty got me into Howdy Forrester. He gave me like a a, a record of um, there's a um, Big Sky or um, uh, Howdy. A big Howdy, I think is what the record's called, and that was uh, just killer. It's got Rutland's reel on it. has got, um, it's just him playing all these tunes, and it almost sounds like polka music because
1: there's like an accordion on it, there's drums and like, you know,
2: yeah, but you know, if you were rhythm.
1: narrow-minded in your approach to bluegrass, what an experience you would have missed by oh, being yeah, totally. against the drums and the accordion. And- oh no no, no no no
2: yeah I mean, these guys I mean okay I mean. These guys were were innovators in themselves, and that's why we we love what they created. Is because they weren't afraid to experiment. We're afraid to try different things. Monroe tried having pump organ on things, and had you know had had, had um, Sally Forster play accordion on stuff. You know, it's no, just, they were trying to make a living. They're trying, yeah, they're trying to make a living. They were just trying to get trying to um, express themselves creatively, and then also do something that. They knew that their country folk, you know, the people that they were singing to and who they are playing to, what they liked. Mm-hmm. That was it, you know, that's... So you might have been a Byron Berline fan. Yes, totally a By- Byron Berline fan, yes. Uh, Berline, Crary, and Hickman. Um, actually, one, I, I never knew this uh, until I, I taught at Augusta a few years ago, and, and Byron was teaching as well. Um, and I, I, I didn't know this, but he was on Star Trek. He played, he, was. he played fiddle on Star Trek <laughs>
1: <laughs> He <laughs> had weird. a big crazy. connection with Hollywood Yeah uh, You know, there were a lot of Sound movies like. and stuff that they got into and TV shows and stuff that they got into by Byron's connection. Smart man, smart, yeah. smart, smart, smart man
2: Yeah, Byron, a uh, uh, huge Byron fan Mark O'Connor fan Always been a big Mark O'Connor fan from the time I was a kid um, Aubrey Haney uh, uh, Stuart Duncan, uh, some some of the more uh, contemporary guys. And then, um, uh, yeah, just a, a lot of those guys, huge influences. And then uh, across genre, across all those different divides, you know, of course, Daryl Anger, um, love Daryl Anger, uh, Casey Dreesen, um, uh, I'm trying to think of some others.
1: Well, if you could have a fantasy day come true, yeah, of someone you could sit down and take a lesson from, or have a conversation, or, you know, David Oistrakh.
2: Okay, it would be David Oistrakh. His sound is just. David Oistrakh was a is Russian. It was a Russian violinist, um, who, uh, he actually during the bombing of Stalingrad was forced by the Russian government to keep playing while the bombs were falling. To keep people calm during the concert, so he was, and he taught at the Moscow Conservatory for a long time, and uh,
1: he's you'd just have to incredible. be a damn good musician to keep me calm oh, during bombing. God. Yeah right. Oh my gosh.
2: Yeah right. I'd be like, sit Get down,
1: down, David. Shut up. Get I'm leaving. There. Yeah right.
2: right. Oh my gosh. But he was, yeah, he was just incredible. His his violin strings sound like, you know, they there were you know four or five inches wide. They just uh, he just produces this beautiful, huge sound that comes out of the violin. So like when I, whenever I want to, something to really sing or if I, like, I envision his playing and, I, and I, I try to emulate him when I really want that big sound, really pretty and um, milk milky sound. Hmm. And that's, that's, David Orstrop is, is one of my favorite violinists ever.
1: So now I don't know anything about playing violin. Do you play four-string, five-string? I do. I
2: play a four-string violin.
1: Right. And the difference being? Uh, the
2: vi- uh- the five-string violin is uh, a, a a violin and viola hybrid. So, so basically you have the G, D, and A, and E of a four-string violin plus the C string from a viola. Mm-hmm. So it gives you an extra fifth down, um, which, you know, or a fourth down, sorry, fourth down. So... You have the range of a violin and a viola in one instrument, um, and that that you know Mike Cleveland plays one of those, um, uh, uh, Bobby Hicks played one of those, plays one of those. Um, a lot of really good players play them, but um, I you know and I, I've been attracted to the five string thing, but I don't know. I I, I just I've always played my hoff and I I I hate changing strings, so I usually go for like six or eight months without changing strings even though I play about 170 some shows a year I try to I, I like playing on dead strings um, but yeah four strings. Do you have to change
1: or, the way you're playing with dead strings? I think it just it takes like mmm not really maybe a little bit
2: but it's it's kind of like it's I feel like it develops your ear develops your sound to be able to play on really dead strings and it helps Kind of because I also i don't like the sound of new strings because they sound very metallic to me mm-hmm. and kind of um kind of slinky i like I like it when actually the best for fi- fiddle strings for me is is a, a set of helicore heavies made by didario and having them played in for about a week' is like they're they're prime they're perfect then and then i'll go through because also I feel like it's a lot of it's it in your head because i'll I'll play my my fiddle and go, man, this thing sounds great, and the strings will be a couple months old. The next day I'll play it and I'll feel, like, Fast oh my broad. gosh, this thing is awful. Yeah, right, exactly. And then the, uh, two weeks later, if I just wait it out, it sounds good again. <laughs> so I think it's more just perception too, perception based for me.
1: You know, you mentioned your first teacher, Amy, yeah. and that one of the things that she taught you was, or that you observed in her, was a good attitude yes and when us us oldsters get together and talk about upcoming bluegrass musicians your name always comes up we always pick you out as a leader someone who's really gonna make a mark on the music and we always mention your attitude your sunny disposition I don't know (laughs) if you're thinking in your head what a crummy day I'm having but you always come across as you described Amy that you, Oh,
2: okay.
1: oh thank you. You, you. <laughs> have a Kleenex? Do you want it? Oh my god. <laughs> It's true. Oh my god. So. It's oh. not dirty. Oh, thank you. That's
2: awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah. I, I mean. Yeah. Uh, Amy was a huge influence on that. My grandfather, who I miss. I miss my grandfather every day. He was just. He's just such a. A, a warm, um, uh, I, I'm thankful for the time I had with him. And then also, um, it just taught me to be a good person, just be a good man, and just be, be, be you know, uh, a gentleman, always be a gentleman. He was just a constant gentleman. Um, and then my father, my father uh, uh, has always been a gentleman, has always taught me that. And then also, uh, somebody who uh, two two guys, uh, Carol Swam and Mike Mumford. The two of them were huge influences on that. Mike Mumford, I've never heard him say a bad thing about anybody. And we've, we I've gone home from gigs with him, and it, the gig sucked. It was the worst <laughs> ever. You know, and, and with with some of the you know some of the worst musicians. <laughs> and, and, and you know, and I'm thinking in my head, I've got I've got all these things that are floating around in my head, and. Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm, I'm I'm at that point I'm, I'm a punk kid I'm still a punk kid, but like the I'm sitting there and uh, I've got all these thoughts in my head and and Mike is just he finds he always finds one redeeming factor from the gig it could be how the guy held his pick it could be the how, color of his shirt uh, the color of his shirt or how he said the word love when he was singing the the chorus or just how, how he had a little of inflection in, in, in saying it, hey, Mike always finds one thing about it and, and, and shines on that. He always finds a silver lining. Um, so I've I learned that from Mike and always learned that to, to, to be that. I always want to be that guy. I want to be the guy who's, who uplifts everyone else. I want to uplift everyone else around me. Um, and, and Carol Swam was was somebody who I learned that from, too. It's just whenever you're around somebody, you, you try and uplift them. You know, I don't want to be a downer. Well, I, one
1: time when you were getting ready to go to Leadership Bluegrass, you said you'd like to ride with him to festivals rather yeah. than ride with the young guys because Carol had much better stories to tell.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: I, I
2: love riding with Carol. I also love riding with, um, with, with Chris Warner. Chris Warner, I used to love riding with Chris from gig to gig with Audie. I, I he had this CD pouch and um, it's for a long time. Chris played with with Audie mm-hmm. and um, uh, we we would ride right down the road and he had a CD pouch and I used to just borrow the CDs because they were you know it would be like the Flat and Scruggs shows from n- late nineteen fifty three. It would be yeah, uh, him with Jimmy Martin in nineteen sixty six playing and him and Vernon Derrick and and, um, and Bill Yates on bass or something. Um, you know and i I would listen to those we would listen to those records as we're going down the road and um i, I would just hearing stories from chris and from um from those guys you know and and also getting his perspective on music and because chris is a prolific composer he writes a lot of tunes writes a lot of songs and i uh just uh, you know get getting, getting to to learn from those guys that were so close to the first generation guys you know like for, to jimmy martin to bill monroe who you know, and, and getting to be around them. I mean, to me, that was more valuable than hanging out with, um, you know, kids my age.
1: You know. I feel <laughs> which, like people my age. Which you know, is what? <laughs> you say my age. Oh, my
2: <laughs> age. Oh, I'm 31 now. And back, what I'm talking about was like when I was probably 16, 17, you know. Like, what does a 16-year-old know? Nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they know more than we give them credit for. <laughs> yeah, that's do- true. They do. I'm well, joking. so this skill of being positive and upbeat and all uh, that, does that, it must help you when you're on the bus. I mean, what are some of the travel advice you can oh, uh, give to anybody thinking about? Travel advice? Signing up for a... Uh,
2: well, be prepared to sleep anywhere. Um, also, be prepared to smell anything. <laughs> I mean anything. <laughs> you're going to smell a lot of different smells. <laughs> also, just stay humble they say uh, you know uh, it's it's a very humbling thing to get out of a van after being in it for 12 or 13 hours same thing with the tour bus too. you get a get get off of it after 13hour ride playing a show and you may be hating life you know and kind of just being like oh my gosh I'm, I' haven't had a shower today and uh, I'm smelling the guy's feet that sits sits Right across from me on the on the bus or on in the van, but you know it always takes that one person. You know every time if I'm feeling that way in my head, you know I'll have somebody walk up to the table and they it made their day. That performance made that made their day, or they may have been thinking about somebody, some loved one that they just lost, or they're thinking about uh, some money woes or. Whatever you know, if there were some health spats, you know, I, I had a guy come up to me recently. He had a heart attack and and um, he was feeling feeling very vulnerable and feeling like his body was broken down and that the music just uplifted him and that that gave him an escape for that time and yeah, that's one thing to always remember. Like it's it's easy to get jaded. It's easy to to think, man, this this uh, this is a hard way of life and blah, blah blah this and that. It really isn't, and when you look at it, big big picture, you bring a lot of people, a lot of happiness, and you bring them a lot of uh, enjoyment, and 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 hang yourself, hang, hang on that, and let that humble you. I think advice for that, you know, stay humble, you know, uh, take a shower, breathe, you know. <laughs> Uh, if it's not Don't for breathe. you, if it's not for you, take a shower for your bandmates. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let's talk about your new album, which is coming yeah. out in July, Patrick McAvinue, and it's called Perfect Fit, and it's an interesting album cover. uh It looks like a puzzle piece, yeah, and it's illustrated. You say by a Disney illustrator. Yes,
2: uh, so the uh, so the gentleman's name is James Elston. James Elston, he grew up in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, but. um went to college in Ohio and was immediately recruited from, with Disney. So he we went to work for Disney, found out that his name he lived right in Spring Hill, so I, um, I hit him up, uh, went and grabbed some coffee at the Fainting Goat, um, kind of told him what I wanted, asked if he would be interested in um, doing this as a, as a little bit of a project, as a little challenge, and um, he said yes. So I told him what I liked and he came up with an amazing, Piece of work, you know, and um, and he also he's just a very solid uh, person. He just kind of, was, you know, just was uh, very accommodating and and.
1: Uh, it is nice, and you've got all your pals playing with you. Yeah, I've got yeah from uh, Charm City Junction, a lot of Baltimore fellas. Um, i my Baltimore guys, Alex Lockman, Sean McComsky.
2: Um, uh, I've got some guys from Nashville, uh, Sean Richardson, who plays uh, guitar with Danley Vincent. Uh, a lot gave um, uh, uh, Largent from daily Vincent played Dobro on here um, Ethan Jojevitz from Sierra Halls band um, he played some bass on it um, Cody Kilby um, that that was that was cool like this kitten to just hang with Cody Cody's a beast and uh, Michael Cleveland uh, Mike's played on a bunch of my records. Well, he's been on, on one of my other records, but he's always helped me out in the past. it has been a dear friend of mine. And it, he played mandolin on a couple of tracks of this record. And um, definitely the MVP of this record is Scott Vestal. Scott not only played banjo on this, but he also was the engineer, did the mix engineering as well, and the, the mastering. So he handled all of that and did a stellar job this is the best sounding record i've I've ever produced Mm -hmm. and um he just he treated it like his own solo project and i really appreciate that i can't thank scott enough your favorite song on it my favorite song um i gotta say i mean i like the dark stuff um i track eight is uh prayer under the pressure of violent anguish and that's a um, Robert Burns poem that I set to music. It's just a really he uh, at during that time in Robert Burns' life, um, because Robert Burns was a an 18th century poet, so he um, is so he wrote this in 1781, I believe, and I think he was in his early 20s. He was like 22 or 23, and he was going through these um, these sicknesses. He was really sick a lot, and uh, he was worried he was dying. He was going through like a like a a crisis, and at that time, also I think he had, he had like made some bad investments, and was had a linen um, factory in a in a building, and it burnt down, mm. and um, so he lost a lot of money, and and was feeling really down on his luck. So he wrote this really dark poem. <laughs> and then my other favorite track, just performance wise, would have to be Clara K C. It's just a um, I wrote that. In 2017, um, Daly and Vincent, uh, Darren and Jamie came to me and asked me to write something or put something together for um, Sean and I to play together on the Ryman for for Bluegrass Nights at the Ryman. And um, I had this melody kind of floating around and I just firmed it up and uh, brought it into rehearsal. And uh, Sean and I started playing it together and Darren pulled out his piece of paper and started writing down the chords but he's like sitting there he goes he's just like very nervous and i said no no it's okay uh it's just good for sean and i he threw the paper up in the air and started screaming he goes yes (laughs) he was worried he had to play it this is funny but but on this recording we ended up having um so they featured that on their tv show i was actually really happy that they did that on the third third season they featured the sean and i playing clara kc but on this cut on the record i had um Mike Cleveland joined on mandolin, Sean played guitar, uh Gavin Large and played dobro, Scott Vestal played banjo and uh Ethan Yojevitz on bass and it is it's stout. It's just uh, I can I all these guys, you know, uh, you know, they I'm just amazed that we are part of a community that so many people are just willing to to help each other and be part of something. And um and Help form art because really, I mean, that's at the end of the day. I just want to create something that people enjoy.
0: That was Patrick McAvenue talking with Katie Daly. To find out more about Patrick, his tour schedule, lessons, or perhaps to order his CD Perfect Fit, visit www.patrickmcAvenue.com. That's M C A V I N U E. McVenue. I'm Howard Parker. Thanks for listening to Bluegrass Stories. Be sure to check out all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, Apple and Google Podcasts, Facebook, as Bluegrass Stories, and katiedaily.com. As always, check back often, and thanks for listening.